is certainly you need courage and you need stamina. You have to have the ability to be in action even when you're trembling in your boots. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. There are like 12 different dental specialties recognized by the National Commission on Recognition of Dental Specialties and Certifying Boards. Yeah, some of them are probably well-recognized to you or well-known to you, uh, you know, orthodontics, pediatric dentists, periodontist, endodontist, oral surgeon. Well, one of the newer specialties is that of dental anesthesiology. And in today's episode, we're going to talk to a very successful dental anesthesiologist out in California. In the U.S., there are only certain degrees that allow you to practice anesthesia. One is getting a M degree, a DO degree, getting a CRNA certification, and the other is through a dental degree, whether it's a DMD or DDS. Today, we're going to talk with Dr. Thomas Lenhart, who has a DMD degree, and he first became a dentist. He first got his Bachelor of Arts degree at University of California, San Diego in microbiology, then got his Doctor of Dental Medicine degree at Boston University. He received his postdoctoral residency training in anesthesia at Loma Linda University in California. Dr. Lenhart has been practicing anesthesia for over two decades, mainly in California both in the ambulatory setting, private practice model, as well as in a hospital setting. Throughout the years, he's been doing lectures, both local, state, and internationally, to various organizations, and is also a very active member with several dental-related and anesthesia-related societies. Dr. Thomas Lennart, I consider a very good friend of mine. We keep in touch with each other for over the last five, six years, and we bounce ideas off each other, even though we're in totally different states and on the opposite sides of the country. He's been a great resource for me, and I think in this episode, he will be a great resource for you to talk about what he does on a day-to-day basis. All right, let's jump into this conversation. Hey, Tom. Hey, thanks a lot for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, well, I'm, you know, you and I go way back. Well, I'm way back, but we go back a while, <laughs> away. <laughs> And uh, about five years, you think about yeah, five years? Five years we'll go back yeah. a ways. And um, I stayed at your home. We've had meals together. We've had road trips. We've got to know each other. It's been pretty yeah, awesome. It's been fun. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm I'm glad you're on the show because I really want to understand what uh, you do in your career, and I'm hoping you can share that with us. Okay. Okay. All right. So, tell me what your profession is and what it, what you basically do. Well, I'm a dentist anesthesiologist. And what that is, it's a dentist with a DDS or a DMD who undergoes uh, three additional postdoctoral years of intensive anesthesia residency training um, for a, a specialty in dental anesthesiology and dentistry. And what type of patients do you usually work with? Uh, we usually see uh, pediatric patients ages 10 months to 8 years old. That's my typical patient. Uh, I would say probably my average patient is about 2 to 5. And these are uh, children who are ASA1, healthy children with no diseases, or children who are ASA2, which have some type of uh, disease, but it's stable and controlled. And an office-based setting is a 
is a safe environment for them to have their their sedation, whether it be conscious or their general anesthesia being unconscious. So for your career, you're a, a dentist who has anesthesia training and you take care of patients in a dental setting. Correct. It just uh, it does depend on what state you're in. So dentist anesthesiologists provide conscious sedation, sedation, pain management, general anesthesia for physicians and dentists in offices, in hospitals, and in accredited surgery centers. I see. And and how exactly are you helping them? Well, you kind of answered that. You kind of provide different levels of sedation, but. Is it, again, you mentioned physicians, so you're saying certain states allow dental anesthesiologists to work with physicians? Yeah, and certain states, dentists who have DDSs or DMDs are chiefs of anesthesia in hospitals. So uh, culturally, it is kind of a, or has been kind of a small niche, I would say, kind of uh, dentists have been providing analgesia, sedation, and general anesthesia for a hundred and something years. So since 1844 and 1846 with T.G. Morton and Horace Wells, who were dentists. We uh, have been doing office-based anesthesia since that time. And certainly in the 70s, we brought to the forefront office-based anesthesia. And that was dentists who were trained. And they've been, we've been certainly trained uh, in hospital settings uh, since uh, World War I, World War II, the Korean War, uh, when there are shortages of physician anesthesiologists or DO anesthesiologists. Uh, dentists have filled in those spots uh, for um, hospitals and throughout the United States. So people, most people recognize uh, an anesthesiologist as uh, a medical doctor. In other words, to become an anesthesiologist, uh, people envision that you have to go through medical school to become an anesthesiologist. But obviously, you're educating us, telling us that you can become an anesthesiologist by going through dental school. Yeah, under my, my understanding, and uh, doing this for 25 plus years, is anesthesia providers are MDs, DOs, DDSs, DMDs, certified registered nurse anesthetists, and in our United States, those people are allowed to to practice. Um, certainly, it is really dependent on the hospital at times or the state laws at times, but uh, that's really who all can provide uh, anesthesia. It's not just uh, having an MD or a DO. There are other routes you can go to be an anesthesia provider. It just really depends. You're a specialist in pediatric anesthesia. Uh, I am a board-certified dentist anesthesiologist, and I specialize in pediatrics. So you and I do different things, um, but we uh, still have knowledge with that little teeny body, which is completely different than uh, the anatomy and physiology of an adult. So Tom, let me ask you this. How does someone become a dentist anesthesiologist? Well, uh, literally, you have to have an undergraduate degree. It's a four-year degree, mm-hmm. uh, preferably in a science, microbiology, virology, biochemistry, molecular biology um, would, be the, would be the preference even though um, there are uh, dentists who have gone in and done English degrees or things like that, it just it's more difficult, or psychology, but really more science-based is important. After your undergraduate degree, you need uh, a three- to four-year doctoral program in dental surgery or dental medicine. Right. So that's either in the West Coast, you get a DDS. On the East Coast, you often get a DMD. Uh, which is that doctorate of dental medicine. Uh, and after that, uh, most people have a at least a one-year postdoc in advanced general dentistry. 
or they'll do other types of postdoctoral training in another ADA specialty, endo, prosto, pediatric dentistry, oral surgery, et cetera. And uh, after that, it would be a three-year anesthesia residency that's CODA accredited. And that's basically an accredited program from the Commission of Dental Accreditation. And uh, currently there's, I think, approximately nine to 12 dental anesthesia residency programs in the nation. And just in case, I will tell you there are five in New York. There's one in Chicago. There's one in Ohio. There's one in Pittsburgh. And there's one in Toronto, Canada. And we have a really good relationship with the Canadians uh, and dentist anesthesiologists uh, in the United States and uh, in Canada. So uh, New York is your hometown. So they have... There's a lot of uh, residency programs for dental anesthesiologists here. Yeah. NYU Longon. I don't know if I said that right. Langone. Hospital in Brooklyn. Yeah, Langone in Brooklyn. You have Jacoby Medical Center in New uh, Bronx. You have St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. Uh, you have Stony Brook uh, University Medical Center in Stony Brook, New York. Uh, and then, of course, you have um, Wyckoff Heights Medical Center in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. So you have, I think, you know, five programs just yeah. around you alone. So it's a lot of competition, my friend. I know, I know. <laughs> All right. So why do you why do you think dentistry is such a great field? Well, uh, I think dentistry is a better field than medicine. This is personal because we still have the ability to practice as a doctor to make diagnosis, to make treatment that's not based on an insurance company's willingness to pay or not. We can decide to spend an hour with you personally inquiring, asking questions, being personable, letting you know that we care for you as a human being. And you're not this person just coming in that's getting a filling that gets 10 minutes of our time, one tooth at a time and reschedule. So uh, we also have so many specialties in dentistry, the ability to do regular restorations, the ability to do implants, um, to do cosmetics and veneers, the ability to be an oral surgeon and to rebuild your face, to take a jaw that doesn't fit your face and, and, and move it and slide it, to do reconstruction. You have the ability to do microscopic periodontal surgery and root canals with microscopes and cameras and little wires and you have toys and you have gadgets and you have lights and you have all sorts of things. We're in medicine. I have a stethoscope and a blood pressure cuff and I'm a patient monitor. <laughs> so there's so many ways. You say that with such passion. I know, but there's so many ways that you can effectively use your creativity and dentistry and medicine. They are both science and art. And I say art for dentistry because you get to create, you get to rebuild. Um, there's so many ways to do it. But as a physician, you also get to use your science, but you get to recreate the art of being a practitioner, to listen to people, to find the right diagnosis, to look outside the box. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're, you're so limited in my perspective that are you practicing for yourself? Are you really working as an employee of the insurance company? Because Mm -hmm. uh, they won't allow you to give the medicines that required. They won't allow you to do the things that you really know that should be done. And if you do it, then they take their patients away. And then they say to you, Richard, I'm sorry, but we're going to take away the thousand patients that we send to you for your anesthesia care or just cut your group out completely. And in dentistry, you still have the opportunity to say, well, 
if you don't feel that access to care and the proper treatment of my patient is the in the best of their interest, well, you know what we do? We just say, we're done. Bye-bye. We don't need you. We'll go to um, another provider. We'll find a way to help our patients. And so we haven't been restricted in that way. I think I just, we can practice um, uh, that art and science still today where I think sometimes in other healthcare fields, we're finding ourselves not being the provider anymore, really. We're just an employee of, of insurance. Mm-hmm. So definitely you feel there's more flexibility and freedom yeah. as a healthcare provider, I'm sorry, as a dentist compared to other healthcare providers. Yes, as a, as a healthcare provider providing dentistry, oral and maxillofacial surgery, pediatrics, I mean, the list goes on. And and an anesthesiologist, you can actually practice sedation, oh, yeah. pain management, anesthesia. Come on, it's the it's the best. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> what's your typical What's your typical day like, start to finish? Being primarily a mobile office based anesthesiologist, my typical day starts at four four thirty in the morning. Get up, shower, get dressed, drive two to four hours to a location set up the operating room within an hour, go through algorithms and mnemonics to verify that everything is where it should be, everything is in working order, just like walking a plane if you were a pilot. Mm-hmm. My patients come in, they've already been uh, pre-opt ahead of time. Uh, we do a review of systems, a physical exam, an airway evaluation, a risk assessment, and then at that point, um, I'll pre-sedate the child um, with medication that allows me to bring them back without any fear, anxiety, memory, or discomfort. Once they're back, lay them in their uh, dental chair according to what they need to do and what position that chair needs to be in. Uh, and then I'll go ahead and place monitors and IV, put them on oxygen, and do an induction to get them to sleep. Uh, from there, I prep and drape them, make sure that they have a secure and safe airway. Uh, they have no pressure points. Uh, they're wrapped and comfortable and warm uh, in either a heating blanket or compression stockings or whatever those might be, depending on the surgery and the length of time. And my job is to maintain their hemostasis, heart rate, blood pressure, oxygen saturation, body temperature, um, fluid management, blood loss, all those things um, during the procedure, and then wake them up recover them, and send them home to their mommy and daddies in better shape than they were when they came into the office prior to their surgery. And then I pack everything up, drive home two to four hours. Now, how how many patients do you usually see a day in this typical day? Uh, I would say, um, depending on the speed of the surgeon, uh, I see two to four patients per day, uh, four days a week, and then try to um, have a Friday or a Monday off along with the weekend. And are you working by yourself uh, besides the dentist and the dental assistants and the office staff? Are you often working by yourself? Uh, in the beginning, I had a uh, had built a huge group practice. There were five of us. At some point, I got tired of um, doing all the heavy lifting for everybody else. And uh, in 2013, I decided to come in, give everyone pink slips and say goodbye. And uh, I'm in private practice now by myself. Uh, I have a business office that does the scheduling, uh, does the finances, and I'm the only anesthesia provider for uh, my practice, which is Bay Area Anesthesia. In the surgery suite, it is the dental surgeon, myself, two staff members, and then, of course, you have a rotating nurse that that, uh, rotates in and out. Um, When I do recoveries, I bring an EMT. 
I bring an RN um, or an anesthesia assistant to assist in the recoveries. And that means the patient doesn't leave the OR until they're stable, uh, awake and responsive. They're groggy. Yeah. Certainly, if you don't, you don't bother them, they'll, they'll doze back to sleep, but they're not unconscious. Um, and then we'll take them into a recovery area and um, uh, do the recovery until they're safe to be discharged. And that's really for me, it's touch your nose, wave goodbye, say you want to go home, no nausea or vomiting, mom and dad are comfortable and um, they're willing to go home. Sometimes, you know, they, they ask to stay and I say, no problem, you can hang out all day because I'm there all day. Yeah. Hey, Tom, what did, what misconceptions do people have about your profession and career? I think because it's been kind of held down in a pack uh, through other specialty groups in dentistry, um, that uh, many people uh, don't know what a dentist anesthesiologist is, nor what they they do on a regular basis. Um, they're unfamiliar with the training. They're unfamiliar with the programs. And uh, finally, after uh, 175 years, dentist or dental anesthesiology is a specialty recognized by the American Dental Association. So I think it'll just take some time uh, for us to get better knowledge. For the physicians and anesthesiologists that train us and work with us, they treat us as brothers. They treat us with respect. Uh, they know what we can do. They know what we can't do. And we we really work together to provide the best care for children, for handicapped adults uh, and children, for special needs uh, adults and children. And uh, that's certainly what's rewarding. But there's a really a huge portion of our nation that's really unaware that a dentist can't even provide anesthesia. And I'm glad you're here on this episode to showcase your profession. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you know, as, as an anesthesiologist, I used to work in a hospital for many years. We used to work with dental anesthesiologists. So, and, and I got to tell you, some of them were fantastic. And um, so, yes, definitely dental anesthesiologists can work both in a hospital setting and a, and mobile setting like you. Yeah. And I will add to that. I work with some good uh, MD, DO anesthesiologist, and there's some that are just like anyone else in any profession. So, yes. Now, what is the most rewarding part of the job for you? The most rewarding part is the mindset of I'm there to keep that child safe. So we know that there can be out, bad outcomes in hospitals, um, in accredited yeah. surgery centers, uh, in office-based settings. And office-based anesthesia um, has its own profession, SAMBA. Um, it's pr been providing uh, really office-based anesthesia since the, I think, probably early 80s, mid-80s. Um, SAMBA is a society of ambulatory ambulatory anesthesia mm -hmm. uh, ambulatory anesthesia or anesthesiology and so I, I think it is really just the fact that having a frightened cognitively developmentally uh, child who can't control their feelings they have all that fear they have all the anxiety to have them come in to control that fear take away any memory of what's going to be done having them come back and see you afterwards and hug you mm. and say, hi, Dr. Tom. Oh my God, you were my anesthesiologist. You put me to sleep to watching their smiles. Yeah. Um, uh, and an example of that is just last week, believe it or not, I had a three-year-old whose mother sent me a video and she said, well, what do you think of Dr. Lenhart? And the little three-year-old says, I think he's funny. He's <laughs> funny, funny, funny. And he is nice. Um, maybe not for 
you or other people, but I don't know. It just, it really warms my heart. It makes me feel that in a world that sometimes is crazy, um, that I have a tangible difference that I can make. It's visible. Yeah. I can see it. I can uh, feel it. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, then I can go home and I, uh, I can sleep at night. And, uh, you know, prior to private practice, when I did eight years of anesthesia and trauma, um, there were many times I could never sleep. There was burdens and things I had to carry for on my shoulder that I never got over. And so hmm. um, it's nice to be able to select my patient and to provide my service and um, sleep at night and kind of go about my day just smiling. I mean, I'm happy. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful profession. Tom, is there a least favorite part of your job? <laughs> I don't know if I should say it. <laughs> You don't have to. We can pass. My patients are wonderful. Parents sometimes are very difficult today because everybody's a Google doctor. Mm. And when they come in and they're telling you what to do, how to do it without any um, foundation of knowledge, it, it makes it difficult. So that's it. Um, let me answer it another way. I think the worst part of my job is the driving. It's a double-edged sword. Well, you live in California. And your offices are all over the place and you got to drive great distances sometimes. They do. I would say that I have about a six hour radius of driving there and back. So three hours out, three hours back in addition to a 12 hour day. It's a long, it's a, it's a long haul and it it wears on you as you get older, but it's a double-edged sword. So it gives me time to think, to decompress, um, to enjoy books on tape while I drive. And then again, it's like long hours. I'm tired. Thank God my car drives for me. It's a Tesla. Um, <laughs> but, but thank God. Um, but that's really it. It's just really the driving is is just a pain. But being able to work with different people and so many different personalities um, every single day, I don't know. That's kind of a big plus. Yeah. It is a big plus because uh, you never really feel like you're in a rut or a routine. Would you say your work-life balance is pretty good? I'd say in the past, it did not balance well. And that was because I thought of success as things that were possessions. I felt that being a successful man was really accumulation of things. Personal experience showed me that that's not the case, that the thing that uh, counts the most is really is the your family, uh, your friends, the closest people um, to you. Because in the event when there's issues, they scatter like cockroaches in light. So that's that's the work-life balance is I like to, uh, I'm okay with working the 12 to 16 hour days um, uh, for three weeks. And then I need to take at least five to seven days off. And that's what we try to do. My wife is very good at saying, Tom, I'm sorry you have to work hard these three weeks, but I promise you we'll go do something and get away for five days. And we love to do photography. We fly drones. We love to edit uh, photos. Um, we do things together as a team. And um, it's nice to have a best friend in this crazy journey. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing I'd like to highlight, Tom, is that you are able to make your own schedule. Yes. Uh, as a mobile dental anesthesiologist. Correct. Right. But you can work in different modalities. I mean, there are many uh, uh, dental anesthesiologists who have an office, uh, just like a regular dentist. They practice dentistry and they also practice anesthesia. Okay. Um, the majority of them, uh, they some of them practice as operator anesthetists. They're the surgeon and they're the anesthesiologist. 
Uh, and uh, a majority of them practice as just only an anesthesiologist and provide no dental surgery um, at that time. Uh, for me, I chose to, to do nothing but anesthesia day in and day out. Um, provide pain management, sedation, etc. Um, and I haven't touched a handpiece as a general dentist since I was, I don't know, since 1994. It's been a long time. And I have no regrets. What do you think the future outlook is like for your profession? Uh, I think it's good. I think it's growing. I think now that it's a, a recognized specialty of the American Dental Association, I think that more and more providers um, um, will be available. And it really, it's about access to care. I mean, it, it boils down to just that. The physicians uh, in the United States can't provide care in every avenue of healthcare, And so we fill a niche. We fill a need. We don't want to tread on anyone's space um, or their profession. Um, but we do enjoy the ability to provide um, safety and care for patients, really primarily in, in the dental field for me, uh, being here in California and uh, doing those things to provide better care for everybody. And, you know, certainly oral surgeons, on the other hand, they can't do everything either. So I guess that's why we're a specialty now is because, you know, after a long, a long war, a long fight, but we, we all learn to work together and we all have the same care for our patients and we want the same safety and the same things for our patient, regardless of who we are. Tom, do you recommend its career for students? I do. Absolutely. I think... Um, what kind of students do you think are best match into this career? Well, let me tell you. Well, let me tell you what I think. <laughs> Here's what you think. I think you need to be a, an anesthesiologist or a dentist anesthesiologist. Is certainly you need courage and you need stamina. You have to have the ability to be in action even when you're trembling in your boots. Uh, you have to be highly detailed-oriented. You need to have empathy towards others and towards your patients. You have to have the ability to uh, remain calm uh, in calamity uh, when the so-called plane is crashing. And most anesthesiologists, uh, whether you're a dentist, uh, an, an MDDO or a CRNA, things like that, they'll tell you, you know what, my job is really routine 90% of the time, 95% of the time, depending on, you know, if you're what hospital you work at, but um, there is that moment that there's nothing to do except muscle memory and training to save your patient. And so you have to have the ability to function effectively in that calamity. Uh, I think that you need to have um, excellent decision-making skills and management abilities. Um, I think that you should be able to effectively communicate and have interpersonal skills. Uh, and I will tell you from going to high school to undergrad to a doctorate program, to a postdoctoral program, uh, your foundation is built on layers. So what I know I wasn't born with, it took hours and hours and hours and hours of repeated, 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 repeated practice to um, uh, really sit here 25 plus years later and to be able to safely provide anesthesia care. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of anything. Just have courage and stamina and get in there and get done what needs to be done and do your best 120% all the time. Well, I love that you prepare for that, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Thanks. Well, we're, let me talk, let me shift gears a little bit. What were you like when you were younger? I mean, you talked about, uh, you know, your trajectory when you were, you know, how you went from high school through up through graduate school and training. But when you were, you know, high school or even college, 
were you thinking about becoming a dentist? You said you wanted to be a dentist when you were eight years old. What the heck were you thinking? Why? Um, I came from your typical American family, divorced parents. Um, <laughs> I was hyperactive. You know, hell, uh, in second grade, I spent most of the year outside sitting because I couldn't sit still until the teacher figured out, you know what, I just need to give Tom a task. So he has stuff to do because he just rips through things so fast and um, he gets bored. So um, when I was eight years old or around eight, I had a great dentist. His name was Edward Wing C. Hauser. He was in uh, off a of ball road in Anaheim. And I love that man. I don't know. He just seemed to be this guy who was a superhero. He was this German guy with a big giant forehead like Frankenstein. And I'd come in the office and he'd grab me by the head and pick me up oh just by the head. And he would say, Tommy, sit in the chair. Don't move. Be a good boy. And then I'll give you back to your mom. The longer you make me uh, sit here with you because you're Mr. Wiggly, then the longer it's going to be before you go home. So help me out here. I don't know. So um, it was my, my plan ever since that. That resonated with you, huh? Uh, it did. It was my plan that, hey, this guy likes me, cares about me, and um, I want to be a dentist, you know? And it, just just like that cartoon, you know, the Christmas one, the, the little elf that or the little reindeer that wants to be a, a dentist. So um, I worked my whole life in uh, school to study hard. I was also a musician, so I played the trumpet. I was a percussionist. Um, so I learned that practice, 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 perfection, practice, practice. It's okay. I don't have to get the the first place ribbon, um, uh, the first time I try something, it takes work. And so tenacity, perseverance, uh, the fortitude never to give up, never surrender. That comes from Galaxy Quest, by the way. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was a motto that- Movie quotes? It was. It was a motto that I kept. Uh-huh, movie quote, never give up, never surrender. And that's really um, how I've uh, really lived my life. If you tell me no, I'm going to bite my nose off to spite my face and show you that I'm going to do it. So, you know, that kind of thing. I think they call that um, <laughs> a, a defiance disorder or I forget what it's called, but right offhand. So you went after college, you went straight into dental school. Yeah. When I uh, graduated from UC San Diego, um, I worked for a year uh, and as a waiter. Um, and then I went to Boston University in New England for four years. And the interesting thing, I guess, what made me like medicine was I received a DMD, and that was a doctorate in dental medicine. So a gentleman uh, who the school was named by, Henry M. Goldman, his thought was, look, dentistry is a subspecialty of medicine. So when you come to Boston University Dental School, you're going to do two years of medicine with the medical students along with your first two years of dental school. And then when they go off to clinical medicine, you'll go off to clinical dentistry. So that's what I did is I had 14 classes the first two years while the med students had four or five, but I had 14 because I had a medical curriculum and I had a dental curriculum. Uh, so uh, when I got out, I had a, just a really a good background in medicine. I still wanted to be a dentist, but doing dentistry for four years, as a hospital um, staff general dentist, I was a little bored and I needed something else. And I liked plastics. I liked faces and I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. So uh, in 1993, I applied for a, a dual degree program. That was the three years of medicine, three years of oral and maxillofacial surgery, then a year of internship, and then uh, it would be plastics. And I think the plastics at that time was a three-year program. Okay, come on. How many years was that? Seven, eight years? In the midst of that, I ended up 
doing an anesthesia residency and they loved me and they said, be the chief uh, anesthesia resident. So uh, my second year, I got to do that. And I, I just have a crazy way of, of doing it. And uh, people have asked me, well, what is it? How do you think of yourself when you're actually doing anesthesia? And I, I just tell people, hey, look, um, I become omnipresent. I sit in a space that's the past, the present and the future. So the past is my monitors. When you look at your monitors, hey, that just happened. So it's your past. Um, it gives you a graph. It gives you a path that you've taken that you can really look at and say, okay, so I was here. And then I can be in the present. And I can be in the present by using my precordial, where I can hear the heart, hear the carotid arteries, um, hear the respirations. I can use my eyes, my ears, my nose, my, my hands. Uh, so touch using your senses um, puts me in the uh, same times that I'm in the past into the present. And then my brain really uh, gives me the future. It gives me this quantum ability to look at multiple possibilities of what's going to happen at that point. Because we know that's what we prepare for. We prefer, prepare for the multiplicity of things that are going to happen are possibly going to happen. And so uh, it's really kind of like, you know, trying to, you know, to hold an explosion in place. Anything that changes in that operating room from the temperature to the body position to what the surgeon says, what the feelings are, it impacts the patient and impacts uh, everything around you and its outcomes. So, I mean, whether you feel that way or not, that's kind of how I can tell you the feeling of providing anesthesia is for me. One thing I love about talking with you, Tom, especially when we talk about anesthesia, since we're both in the anesthesia business, is that you're able to put in words tangibly what you are doing and you frame it in a way, in a concept that can be understood uh, by lay people. And you can also teach it to other professionals too. And I, and I, I've seen you in that, how you talk to patients. I've seen how you talk to other professionals and, you know, I got to say that's uh, just that last few minutes where you're talking about um, how you conceive your way of practicing medicine and anesthesia. I still kind of like, wow, that's, that's, you know, that's another way to look at it that I never really have thought about before. So, you know, I, that's why I really appreciate you. And, and I appreciate how you kind of look at that. Thanks. Thanks for being nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> I told me in my script, it said, be nice to Tom. So I have to follow these rules I wrote down. Okay, good. <laughs> well, you're um, not telling anyone that there's a sticker on my forehead right now that says, be nice to Tom while we're talking. So, No, I didn't know. Yeah, exactly. Tom, I want to move to a fun segment I like to call <laughs> Dr. Marn's Lightning Round. Yeah, this is and You may have heard some about this before. Yeah. Are you ready? No. <laughs> this is fun. Yeah. Sometimes a bit revealing. Yeah, I know. That's the scary part. All right. Favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? Boston. Favorite junk food? McDonald's fries. Mm, that is tasty. Mm, every day I could eat them, but I'd be huge, huge. You'd be huge. I'd be huge. How many days do you wear the same pants in a row before it becomes a problem? How many days am I allowed to wear pants? That would be a problem. One day. <laughs> if, I, if, they, if my pants weren't regulated on a daily basis, probably three days. Then they get a little stiff. Thank you for sharing. You don't have to describe what happens. Thank you for the answer, though. <laughs> we're talking about jeans. Jeans. Yes, jeans. If you were 80 years old, what would you tell your children about life, 
and about business that would be the most important thing for them to know to get a head start. My quote from Galaxy Quest, the movie, never give up, never surrender. Always give 110% and laugh every day. Love your life. That's it. Ta-da! Well, no, 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 we're not done yet. <laughs> Crud. <laughs> what cheers you up? Laughter. Smile. A kiss. On a scale of 1 to 10, how strict were your parents? Well, Richard, you may not know this, but I was raised by kittens. I had no parents around. That explains uh, so no much. I'm the baby. I'm I have three I had three older sisters. <laughs> then there was me. I just ran wild all day long. I can see that. Uh, I got locked out of the house. I, you know, I found things and invented things, and I have such a creative mind. I could I could be happy with a stick and a little bit of water and mud. I could play all day, even today. I don't care what your name is. I don't I don't care what your name is. But if we're playing in that sandbox and we're having fun, I'm good. <laughs> oh, all right. What's your best childhood memory? Since we're talking about childhood a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the time I spent with my sisters and me, I think the unity we had together, um, surviving together, um, it was really just us against the world. And um, uh, those are nice memories. I miss my sisters. How would you hope you are described by people when you're not around? Kind, empathetic, a listener. (laughs) Final question. Can you say something about yourself that most people at your workplace would not know about you? I'm more funny than serious. I'm not the I'm not the same person at work as I am at home with my friends. It's just a different hat. And I wear different hats. I wear a different hat as a dad. I wear a different hat at home and I work a different hat at work. Mm-hmm. That's true. I've seen you at work. You can be quite serious. Yeah, which is unbelievable for you, I'm sure. Tom? That's it. I appreciate you coming on this episode. I think uh, you provide a lot of content and depth and interesting stories and understanding about what you do. So thank you very much. And I I apologize for the listeners if this was a very boring episode. So thank you for coming on board, Tom. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Morn. It was a pleasure. And if you need me to, because there's no content after you edit everything out, I'm going to have to come back and try it again. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right, everybody, that's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.